What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Vincent O'Connell. Hello, Vincent. Hi, Stuart. Vincent is the writer of the original ID film back in 95 and the sequel, um, yeah. uh, which is coming out. Twelfth of August. Twelfth of August. Good job you're on the line with that one. <laughs> so, do you want to give us um, before we go into any details about it? Do you want to give us uh, people? Pre- let's presume people know the first one. Do you want uh-huh. to give us the the sort of new title and um, a brief synopsis as to what it is? Okay. Well, it's called ID Two Shadow Army. Um, it's not. It's a bit of a generic title and and one that was decided by committee, I actually had a more edgy title than that. I wanted to call it ID2 Mad Mohammed. But um, <laughs> the producers wouldn't let me. But uh, if that sounds a bit full on, the fact is that we have a, a, the, 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 the hero of the film is a guy called Mohammed, and he's um, um, he is mad in the sense of angry, and and it was to been a very appropriate title. I mean, Mohammed is our undercover copper this time. I mean, last last time it was John and his cohorts who went in undercover in Shadwell, and this time it's a young, up and coming. Um, uh, British Asian uh, uh, policeman called Mo, uh, who is thrown into the lion's den, or rather the dog's kennel, uh, <laughs> and uh, goes undercover at Shadwell. What's happened is that Shadwell Football Club have been bought up at auction by a Russian oligarch for his own nefarious purposes, and he's put pumped a bit of money into the playing side of the team, got them back into the Premier League and somehow swindled it so that they are playing in the low echelons of the Europa League. 
the prospect of Shadwell's well-known hooligans going abroad is a nightmare for the Metropolitan Police. So for this reason, they put um, an undercover agent in. Being very, um, knowing that their uh, targets are very aware of the possibility of infiltration, uh, they've tried to pull a sly one by putting in someone they think is not going to be noticed, uh, a young British Asian, though there is a subplot that maybe he's actually being set up for a big fall. So uh, Mohammed goes into Shadwell, but uh, the, the film really takes off when he finds that he's not just involved with the regular crowd looking for some trouble around football grounds. He's actually sort of gets embroiled in a, a plot involving um, local uh, far-right EDL types and their desire to use uh, the energy and anger of the Shadwell fans against the local Muslim population. Uh, there's a local, um, the, the, right opposite the Shadwell ground, a new mosque is being built, and they are completely opposed to this. So very quickly things turn into a quite, uh, the, the stakes get upped. It's not just about uh, a few hoolies looking for a ruck um, on a Saturday night. It gets a bit bigger than that. Yeah, and, and and what we did what, before we we got together for this uh, for the to record the podcast, we were talking over e over email, and I think that yeah. one of the, one of the interesting things about this is the sequel is that it kind of it kind of treads on the toes of some big issues um, yeah. that are very current. I mean, if if we if and if we look back at the first one, the first one very much was about the problem of football violence as was. I mean, admittedly, by '95 things were changing, but. But the idea it was a it was seemingly as I remember rightly about the nature of going undercover and and, and how much yeah. that can sort of rob you of your own identity against yeah. I guess hence the name ID. Um, yeah. Whereas, yeah. whereas obviously tending an, a, a British Asian into a football gang who's actually undercover cop is would seem like the, the worst idea in the world in some senses. Um, well, I I I, I have a strong desire to question myself, challenge myself, undermine myself, and therefore question the audience, challenge the audience, and undermine the audience. It goes both ways. And if I'm not making it interesting for myself, then I'm not making it interesting for anybody else. I, I, when I was asked to uh, do IDT, and I had been asked before, and I've gone, oh, I'll never go back. And let's face it, after ID, there was a whole swathe of kind of exploitation flicks mm. picking up on the, um, the, the, the the sort of football gang genre, which none of them really, for, to my mind, have got very much going on in them, apart from just using the kind of the, the, the very familiar tropes of that kind of film. I think we, well, we were, apart from Alan Clark's original, The Firm, on, which was a TV film, mm. ID was the first, the film that created this genre. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So when I was uh, seriously considering ID 2, I thought, well, I, I want a film that's going to break the genre that it created, really. Mm. Um, so that was my, that was my first and most powerful instinct, which was, if we're going to do this, let's do something different with it while being true to the original ID film. I mean, there are a number of things that 
it's a, the, the original idea is about that I've uh, felt it was very important to keep in place. It is about going undercover and having your identity challenged. Yeah. I mean, the idea was called ID because it's about identity, but also because it's about the id. It's about violence. It's about that dark side of ourselves that yeah. will find expression somehow and how we channel it, what we do with it. Mm. So it, th- th- that, that sort of uh, central kind of... Um, uh, Paradox is is really also what I wanted at the heart of this film, mm. but to then extend it into other places, and so we do have the undercover cop going into a gang of football hooligans. But I thought, well, let's let's kind of make it more interesting. Let's make it a, 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 a British Asian cop. Let, what will that do to to the story? And also. I found, I mean, when I was asked to do it, when I started really seriously considering it with uh, Sally, the producer, uh, I found that my relationship, my relationship with football had changed profoundly since I first wrote ID. Right. And I think that reflected how a lot of us, our relationships with football, the industry, have changed. And I, I found that, you know, in the 20 years between one film and the other, the, the, the relationship between uh, football supporters and and football clubs has changed profoundly. And I thought that was a very interesting play, thing to address in, mm. in, in, in making a, a sequel. So that kind of sense of um, how people are alienated from their clubs, how clubs are the fulcrum of a community and can trust that they have that community support because of tradition, because of being passed on from dad to son and, 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 and daughter too. Uh, but that, that, that's taken for granted. As football becomes corporatized, those people get left behind. That community side of football clubs gets left behind. So I was very interested in writing about that, about how, True supporters often in 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 the times we find ourselves in can't really afford tickets, can't afford season tickets, and often can't even afford to you know pay for the television uh, licenses they need to be able to watch it. No, no, no. I think you know we're in we're in the first season ever where officially the fan the, the revenue on the door means means nothing. No, nothing. Yeah. People, yeah. nobody yeah. could turn up, and yet, yeah. and yet the price of getting in. Hasn't gone down. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, well, quite the contrary, and yeah. and yet there's a big problem there. I mean, there was there was a point in the mid '80s when the hooliganism was really making itself felt profoundly. When Thatcher had an emergency cabinet meeting to address this problem of football hooliganism, what we're going to do about it, and she said to a stunned cabinet team. Why don't we just ask the clubs to play without anybody in the stadium? And everybody <laughs> just their jaws dropped open and till some brave aide sort of leant over to her and said, Well, Prime Minister, what would be the point? But in a way, that sort of Thatcher idea of football being played out in empty stadia is sort of it's kind of not so remote a possibility in that, as you say, that it's television money that generates it, and the people, um, the people's most people's experience of, of 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 top league football is through television too. 
No, um, no, and I think I think and, and a thing that's at the heart of your new film that that clearly is what's wrong is you've got if you've got Russian billionaires picking teams because yeah. they're basically buying into culture because they don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. You then have people from an audience that is fueling this TV money from around the world picking a team too. So the connection with the ground or the area is zero. And yeah. yet the the reason that for it's kind of a it's it's the kind of goose that laid the golden egg, which is what makes certainly British football interesting compared to other countries. Um I'm not saying it's unique, it's just interesting. Um the fan culture, certainly if you think of four divisions of it, which mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think and and, 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 and certainly at away <coughs> followings as well. I don't you know, the idea of going to away games doesn't exist to the same level in the rest of Europe, never mind anywhere else in the world. Sure. Sure. And now you've got those those fans who do travel away would, you know, because of the time and effort they, they put in and money they spend, consider themselves a bigger fan than somebody from, yeah. I, I don't know, yeah. from yeah. Tyler. Somebody from Salford who goes home and away with Manchester United <laughs> has got more of a stake than a kid in Thailand who watches it in a bar. Yeah. But the money that comes into the game is more to do with the kid who can just rock up to a bar than it is to do with that guy that makes or woman that makes the atmosphere at the yeah. game, and I thought. And, and, and there are very exciting things happening in in response to that. I mean, that, um, um, you've got FC United Manchester, for example, mm. and the uh, the AFC Wimbledon, um, who kind of got. We're not going to go to Milton Keynes and support our own club. We're going to start our own. There's mm. quite a lot of that sort of fan-based community sort of movement happening and and I think that that might be uh, the way that community replugs into football and mm. fans aren't disenfranchised it isn't just about being a consumer of a product but that you're involved and have a relationship I mean fans used to get I mean I just read that you know we had the 1966 World Cup final um, um, sort of being remembered um, uh, 50 years on uh, mm. just last week and stories that fans from that time have of kind of getting on the bus and seeing Jeff Hurst on the bus with them and stuff, you know. Um, I suppose now the equivalent is fans kind of follow uh, players on Twitter or Instagram and feel that they have that kind of a connection with them. But they're not coming from the same world. They're not living in the same world anymore. I kind of think it's it's it's, it's the sort of all football becomes like a soap opera. It becomes like there's these remote, you know, the, the whole way the premier season that is being approached at the moment is of a soap opera of conflict between big figure managers, you know, mm. Uh, mm. and uh, it, 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 it feels like we're in a sort of parallel universe where the pure romance of getting a ball stuck between two posts has been completely lost. And we all have that. Everybody who likes football has that, has been a kid playing out the commentary in their own head as they dribble past three players and stick it in the net to win the FA Cup final. We've all done that. We all kicked balls against a wall for hours um, as kids Mm. and lived our fantasies and dreams through the game. And we get sort of that that's fractured somehow that dream sort of it just it seems to belong to a sort of um, game of Thrones sort of universe now, which is something that you can watch but not touch that you can't you, you can spectate it but you can't get near it 
So I do think that those um, community-level um, 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 responses to corporatisation of football is is something that is very very interesting and worth keeping an eye on. But equally, your other your other your other one of the other not other but the, one of the other big themes that's in in your in your film is um, yeah. is the changing of communities and obviously in particular yeah. in yeah. A, in a London has. Yeah. Has I mean I, I live in I live in East London. Yeah, uh, I'm not a million miles from the likes of Whitechapel, and and I know I know around. Yeah, West, I know <laughs> I know around West Ham's ground. In fact, I live right by Leighton Orient. Um, uh, but um, you know, if you go around, I mean, long before uh, West Ham were were rumoured, and then eventually have now moved to Olympic Stadium. Yeah. the talk of a super mosque, as it were. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because of the changing face of the community, there yeah. has been used to scare people a number of times in the media and to create tension yeah. and stuff. And and yeah. again, you've 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 supplanted that into and wove it into your story too. This yeah. this notion of this not just football and its and its tyranny, but the change in the makeup of where the football club has grown out of. So the community that once was is no yeah. longer. I guess yeah. I guess you could I mean it, it's interesting there was that uh, programme not long ago about Stratford, about the white the white of uh, white population of East End. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it completely overlooked Thatcher's um, right to buy, which everybody took advantage of and yeah. moved out into Essex and whatever. Yeah. And obviously left the the sort of in brackets substandard housing which a, 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 a newly arrived immigrant was happy to be living in because it was near work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. the idea. And it was the, it was cheaper and stuff. And, and through gentrification, these places have become more expensive, and yet the makeup of them is very different from the old East End. Now, yeah. you probably get some accent, I'm not from the East End. <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've got your number, I know where you're from. <laughs> and, um, and, this, and, while, and while there has been changes across the north of England, they're not nearly... As dramatic. I mean, if, I, if you just look at ONS figures, it's like half of the immigrant population and half of the Muslim population of Britain is within the M25. Yeah. So a lot of these tensions that we see, and it's and it's really it's it, and it's handled. I mean, it, you, you've handled it in your film really well because you've you've not made a big. It's a big deal, but you've not made a big deal of it, and and you, and there's no comment in the film as to what's good and what's bad. Sure, I think if, that was very important. Actually, I, I mean, I thought just as in the original film, when I had to kind of get 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 in sort of to the minds of, of football. I mean, I'm not a football hooligan. I've never been a football hooligan, mm. and I really don't like it. I mean, I love football, mm. um, and I love hanging around. I love the atmosphere of it, and I love the energy that kind of contributes to that sort of um, uh, thing that can sometimes turn violent, that, mm. that, but that energy has to handle itself. But my my big thing when I wrote ID was, well, I'm going to spend time with this and with these people, and I'm not going to um, have a, a condescending eye on it. I'm going to see it from their point of view. And that's the only way you can really truthfully tell a story, is if you've really got if you can see it from a point of view, then then you you you, you understand what's going wrong, and for for the same reason, I mean, in with, it was even more tricky for me to get my head into the space of people who might march with the EDL because I bloody hate it. They march from my hometown of Brighton on St George's Day, well they have done, mm. uh, and. Um, I find it insulting and offensive, and and they are looking for a response from people, you know. Mm. Uh, but 
I also have to say, okay, who, what, these are human beings. What's it about? Why are they feeling like this? Where's that coming from? And I have to see it from their point of view. So I, you know, I mean, there's a there's a bit of me that's kind of thinking, you know, when this film goes out, who's going to come after me? Is it going to be the the Hoolies? Is it going to be the Jihadists? Or is it going to be the EDL? I think they'll all have something to say about it. <laughs> but I've kind of I've just kind of just tried to really be very even-handed and clear-eyed in telling a story about a community that is changing and has a number of different choices it can make about itself. And this is this was a step up for me in the ID theme. Mm. That in the first ID was about personal identity. And the second one, I got more interested in community identity. Who are we? Who do we want to be? What's the difference between who we are and what we want to be? And what do we do about that? So that's kind of all going on there, but I'm very happy that you say you didn't find that was handled in any heavy-handed way. That, no, yeah. no, no. It's, it, it's just sort of, it, 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 if you didn't think it existed, then, you know, you'd have been a bit naive coming to the film, do you know what I mean? If you've spent, certainly having spent, I've been in, I've been in London 16, 17 years, and I've lived yeah. in various areas with, you know, very diverse cultures, so you kind of... Oh. You, and, and I've seen cultures change while being in the same place. You know, it's sort of it's hard not to see it. And equally, you see what you see is you see pubs shut down, for example. Yeah. And yeah. the only pubs that survive, as in your as in your story, are ones that end up yeah. having to compromise and become like gastro pubs and stuff. Yeah. But then, but they yeah. still surveil. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it till just before I I, I I I made the call to you to record a podcast. Is that the interesting parallel between when when the way that Football hooliganism got out of control. Was was where the, the the politics of the far right saw a recruiting ground in the late seventies, early eighties, sure. yeah. and, yeah. and and the political will of of these people got mixed up with what was just you know common or garden football rivalry. Yeah. yeah. And equally, you've got now, which is a much more organised and a much more straight faced, suited and booted kind of approach, which is your yeah. kind of your more senior advisors within the EDL and, and whatever, yeah. is that you've got, the again, the rise of a kind of far-right politic, which is not quite, you know, it's not it's nowhere near the kind of, um, I guess, aggression and violence that we saw back in with, with the National Front and the, and the old version of the BNP. But it's almost like the kind of, the, this, this, the, the kind of polite face of... Well, I mean, the, the, the point is that the, the nearer that they, um, that the, the right wing gets to power, the closer it gets a handle on power, the more polite it becomes. I mean, that, 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 uh, the, the BNP um, uh, National Front really sort of, you saw that once there was a very right-wing um, British government, you saw that dissipate. It mm. kind of, like, I mean, there were other things about it too. I mean, there was a point at which it became, you know, when I was growing up, you know, NF was or, or it was getting kind of a bit fashionable, and then you had rock against racism kind yeah, of yeah, turn yeah. it around on itself and take all that energy and put it somewhere else, and that was terrific. But I, I, I do think that um, it, it gets apparently politer and apparently um, more presentable the closer it gets to power, but that underlying it, there is always this threat. Of violence, but but also that the the, the the other similarity, which is that the the working <clears> class <throat> football hooligan is 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 a sort of group of people who are ripe for recruiting. Yeah, 
in terms of well, a, kind of, a kind of binary and, choice in terms of politics. And when I was researching this, I mean, I was told by, uh, you know, um, I, I talked with um, people who had been committed, for, the, 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 found guilty of football-related offences and banned from grounds, hmm. telling stories of, on a Saturday afternoon or whenever the game's being played in their hometown, EDL are going around the pubs and spotting them and recruiting them or trying to recruit, recruit them because okay. they're going, these are the guys who aren't being allowed in the football grounds. They're the, our kind of people. Mm. And they were trying to recruit them and, and not being very successful at it by all accounts. Mm. So, and, and again, just, just, just to finish off on the, on the kind of changing face of the, the sort of communities and games is that I think it's the first time I've seen something where you've sort of shown that football hooligan culture, but then you're also showing the disenfranchised. You've got a group of people yes. who would identify themselves yeah. as football hooligans, yeah. but they don't go to the game, which yeah. in, in 1978 to 83, it would have been game, violence, game. It wouldn't have been mm. go watch it on the telly, then, sure. then look for trouble. Mm. And I think that's the, another interesting aspect of your, of your film that you've, like you, like you said earlier, you know, not just can they not only afford to get to the game, but also they can't afford the subscription to, what was it now, you have to do Sky and BT, don't you? Yeah, at least, yeah. To watch, to watch football. And so, I mean, again, that's an interesting, and it's, and it's, it's, it, I think that's a fairly political thing, you know, and that's probably the, the more subtle of the political things in it, you know, this idea of the, what, what, what is the core audience of football is the mm. one most affected by its growth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, in a funny yeah. way, I've just yeah. been I've just been involved with um, a, a photographer friend of mine did a book called Grassroots about football and Hackney Marshes, uh -huh. oh, and, yeah. and you see it there. You know, there's the the, the vultures of gentrification and uh, regeneration are dying to get their hands on that big open bit of green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, without respecting anything to do with football. But yeah. anyway, uh, let's let's talk about then writing a sequel. Then, so we, we've we've sort of we've we've danced around all the sort of big ideas that you've you've drawn on. To, 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 to weave into your story then. But but how, you know, having, with that original and sort of 20 years on, how did you go about sort of identifying what the story should be? How did that work for you? You know, it's not the same, I mean, it's not the same as just starting with a speculative script. You're, you're kind of, you've got something to feed off, but obviously you've got to create something new at the same time. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 I mean, it evolved, but my starting point was there were certain things that people who, I mean, ID has a bit of a cult following, mm -hmm. and I had to respect that cult following. I went, for years, I went around trying to kind of shrug that off, and I've just met it too many times that I've just got to respect it. There is, you know, there's, there are people with tattooed quotes from the film, semi-tattoos on their body, you know, wow. and stuff like that. Uh, people who quote this stuff, you know, um, who so love the characters in that film, and in particular, Gumbo has such an immense following. But I had to, I had to, I knew that I had to respect the followers of the original film, but at the same time, wanted to take them somewhere else with it. So I knew that there were certain things I had to do, and that I did want to start off with that, the, the idea of someone going undercover as an outsider again. That 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 element of outside, being an outsider, I just find something compelling in, in, in film storytelling. Um, I, I, I suppose, I mean, I remember I went for lunch with Sally Hibbin, the producer of the original one and this one, mm. and uh, she 
he said, look, people want ID2. What, what, what do you want to do about it? And I said, well, we've got to take it somewhere else. And we both had, have um, uh, quite a political uh, perspective. So she was happy to take on that. And by the, by the end of that lunch, I said our, our lead character, our hero, is uh, called Mohammed. <laughs> and, I'd, and she said, okay. She didn't bat an eyelid. I thought, okay. It's, I've set myself a really difficult challenge to make it plausible that this guy would be sent in undercover. And then, to, and, and then the challenge of finding out what happens to him in there. But to tell the truth, from that, after that, I just went off and wrote. And I didn't really... Um, I mean, I, I find the better. I do the research after when I need to do it, when I okay. need to find out things. And and usually you're kind of doing the research all the time anyway without even realising it. Mm. I immerse myself in. I've, I immerse myself in the world that I'm writing about, and I just. Yeah, I always my first drafts are usually unbearably long. I'm trying to change that now. They're usually unbearably <laughs> long, and it makes it frightens everybody off. So usually I write a sort of 250 page first draft, and then I then I do another first draft. That's for my eyes only, and then I do another a second draft, which is the first draft as far as anyone else is concerned, mm. and that might be down to about you know uh, 200 pages or something, which is still far far too long. But what you've done in, in in working that way is you've created a world. Right. You've created ideas, characters, an environment, and you've you've found you found you know your films in there. It's a bit like the process of editing a film. I find that you know you do a, 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 what some people try to get straight to fine cut. Now you do it digitally, and I think that's a problem. Yeah. But but really the process is. You do a loose assembly of your material, and then you whittle it down, and you whittle it down, and you whittle it down, and then you lose some stuff that you really love, and then you whittle it down again. And that editing process is pretty much what writing is about for me. Do you have the big splurge, the total immersion, lose yourself in it, create that that universe, and then go, well, what have we got here? And that's interesting, that's interesting, that's not. So I suppose... Um, I mean, the, the, the first draft that I showed anyone was about 180 pages long, and that was being developed at um, um, well, originally it was British Film Council, but then became BFY. Yeah. And and really, I had in the process of and, and the people were you know Sally knew how I worked, and and Chris Collins, who was no longer with us, but who was our guide at the BFY. Um, who were very um, trusting of me and my process. They were, you know, okay, well, it's not, you know, more work needs done, obviously. Talk it all through, go away and get on with it. Um, and I had, I remember that there were basically, I had two really key inputs. When I had this nearly 200-page script, mm. um, which, and every time I deliver a 200-page script, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's good to go. And I know it really isn't, but <laughs> I think, oh, yeah, uh, if, I've, if I've handed it over, I like I like everything in there. But I had two key inputs. I mean, you get a lot of inputs that are rubbish and you just chuck them out. Mm. But I had two really good inputs. One was from Chris, 
um, he's, he's, I had this kind of front section, which was before Mo even starts researching his work, yeah. had this front section about Nick and Danny Boy and their world and their environment. And, and also Mohita and Cash, the, 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 the two kind of, um, um, two, two gangs, two worlds that, that are in this film. And I really investigated them both mm. before taking Mo undercover and before the scene where Mo walks into a, a, a seedy sort of um, bar above a pub and, and finds one of the original detectives undercover in ID1 to talk to him about his work. That mm. happened about 50, 40 pages into my first draft. Really? And, and Chris said, just start the film in, 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 in the bar. And, um, and, you know, at the same time, as soon as he said it, I knew he was right. And I also knew, oh, shit, I'm going to lose a load of stuff that I love. And, you know, I pulled one or two things out of that 40 pages before that found a place um, in, in the final script. But I lost a lot of stuff that I really loved at that point. But the point, I knew he was right. I knew it was a great beginning to a film mm. to have this kind, of this kind of confrontation between the new young guy and the guy who's been there and done it. It was kind of quite a classic cinematic setup. And Chris saw that, and it was a great idea. And then I think at the, at the next draft stage, Sally made one key input. I had all these political things going on and everything, and Sally said the building of the mosque should be right at the heart of the film. And again, as soon as she said it, I knew that was right. And again, I knew it had meant that other stuff had, had to go. But that, So, in a way, I was sort of... People trusted me to go on the journey that I have to go on. And it has to be a journey and feel like one because then I can take an audience on the journey if I've made a journey. Mm. Um, and, 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 and essentially, I'm kind of... There's lots and lots of chat around all, all of that and, and, and some of it just got ignored and some of it got, it got into the script. But really, I remember those two key moments. Chris just said, this is where the film starts. And Sally said, the building of the mosque is central. And uh, they were, you know, and, and I think if there's any worth of being experienced as a writer, it's like really knowing what to hear and what not to hear. And, and, and my instincts, I think, were right about that. So in terms in terms of impact, then I mean I can understand the impact of somebody saying that bit that you've got that happens fifty pages in that should be where we start, mm. and I can imagine your your brain then trying to compute that. But yeah. then what that meant, as in what do you lose, and by just shifting it, or do you, what do you keep? But then yeah. when somebody says to you, the building of the mosque is should be the central should be a central pillar stone of, of the of the story. How how much wasn't it? Central part of the story. It was, at that all, point. it was all. It was all already there, right? Um, but it just probably wasn't focused. It probably wasn't. There were probably other things going on as well. Mm. It wasn't just about the mosque. It was. There was. I mean. I mean. I got very interested in the um, connection with uh, right wing polit 
political groups abroad because that is going on a bit and that, that's always fascinated me. Mm. And so I had a much more developed um, subplot about how... Um, I've got to be careful not to give some key things away here, but how uh, <laughs> uh, uh, an undercover agent who get, makes connections with Dutch football fans on an away day uh, finds himself in a police cell in, in Amsterdam mm. with a guy who's part of a, a far-right group in Amsterdam who works and, and how they are financed by a sort of internet magnet in, 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 in the Netherlands, which has a reality to it without naming names. You know? No, no, no. And I, uh, again, that's another interesting aspect you, 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 you pinpoint is that the, the people who would identify themselves as sort of nationalists and proud of that, yeah. because there's obviously a minority group in terms of politics in their own country, they rely in their kind of economies of scale through a global network as well so it's yeah. kind of it's kind of contradictory to what they're really after but well, well, every every political movement is international in the end mm. that mm. that um they get encouraged by successes in other countries and informed by experiences in other countries and in certain european countries there is a more developed connection between uh, football violence and 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 extreme politics, and my you know I I, I, I had I had a more developed story about mm. that being imported here, and now it's kind of deep background in the film, and it, in a, in a way it had to be unless I was going to sort of do a mini series or something, then <laughs> you know, something had to go I guess. No, but, it, but it, 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 it's like you say, it, it, it's, it's, you, you built a world, and in that world it's very mm. complex and it's not, and nothing's yeah. as straightforward as it seems to be yeah. to, yeah, you yeah. know. Mohammed, Mohammed's character is the person we fear for being rumbled, and that's yes. not, not dissimilar from the first one sure. in terms of that, that, that basic aim. But then yeah. once we step outside that, that once, the, once the train goes off that track, and I won't, I won't give any spoilers away, but it's like once the train goes off that track, it's not yeah. quite as simple as him being rumbled. Sure, sure. <laughs> and that's yeah. that's an amazing bit of amazing bit, but it's like it's a lovely bit of kind of sort of rising action in, within that drama. It's like you, you you're fearing for his safety, mm. and then you present him with dilemmas which you couldn't have imagined when he first walked in the pub and yeah. announced himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from that in then, you know, given these the big subjects you're tackling, what from a research point of view, let, let's take. I mean, I, I, can I take for granted the kind of football side of it was was a, was something you understood? Oh, I've <laughs> been immersed in football <laughs> since whatever age. Yeah. yeah. So so all the other aspects, so the, the far right politics, the, the the Muslim communities, the the notion of um, of, of, of international. Uh, billionaires buying football clubs. Which aspect of that was the sort of most difficult and challenging for you to sort of get your head round as far as trying to get it into your story? I think the most difficult is, for me was was entering the mindset of of EDO activists. Okay. Uh, as I say, I mean, I have a kind of pretty visceral response to them marching through my hometown streets, you know, and. Mm. Um, uh, but but I did a bit of personal excavating in 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 in, in, in to in order to in order to enable me to to 
take that on, which was I, I grew up in Essex, not and 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 in, in Basildon in Essex, and that was um, a town that you know became famously politically pivotable. With, with what's happening in Basildon tells you an awful lot about what's happening uh, in the rest of the UK in terms yeah. of where people are politically. And I remember growing up with people who a lot of people were politically apathetic and 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 then others were politically developed but in quite distinctly different ways but i just remembered um, i was remembering recently uh I, one summer doing a vacation job working uh, as a council workman yeah. with this guy who was the national front guy and um I thought this is going to be a long summer, you know, this is going to be a problem. But we ended up talking a lot. And what we, we, we kind of, there was a kind of, there was a kind of mutual respect there. I listened to him. He listened to me. We disagreed, but we could talk about it. You know? mm. And in a way, we had more in common with each other than with the people who just didn't give a fuck. Mm. Um, and and so that was very interesting to me, and 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 like I kind of drew on that a bit, and and on some other um, encounters with people where you know if you can let yourself see the whole person, and not just see that that sort of the, the that political projection of themselves, then you sort of get a lot further. But I mean, I I, I found it difficult because as a writer you've got to be comfortable with the people you're writing about so it's and sometimes you're writing about uncomfortable people so so that was that was difficult and and probably the hardest bit of work i think mm. um with the um I, i'd met lots of and and know um you know uh second generation british asians so that side of it Again, I had to research a bit, but I, I, I kind of got it. I kind of, I, I've, I've known a number of people who um, have got that. They've grown up like Mo, really. They, they uh, have serious, devout Muslim parents, but they're growing up in uh, West London or wherever, and mm. and they're kind of going, yeah, well, it's all very well going down the mosque, but um, I like hip-hop and i like girls or boys or whatever it happens to be mm. and uh you know and and i like going down the pub and i like having a smoke and they kind of there's there's this whole generation who are kind of carrying two completely different cultures in themselves at the same time and some get pulled one way or the other and a lot sort of swerve between the two um and I find them very interesting people, and it's why I wanted Mad Mohammed to be my um, my hero, because the choices that he makes about who he is are are the, the, the kind of tell a, sto a bigger story about what's happening in this country. I mean, if we oppose people, mosque building of mosques takes me back to I did a research trip to a war zone once. I went to Bosnia towards the end of the war there, and I went around some desperate, destroyed 
places in Bosnia. And one place I went to, I spent some time in a place called Bihać, which had been surrounded by Serb soldiers for two or three years and yes. suffered suffered greatly and then the siege was lifted and uh, you know i was maybe one of the first i kind of came in with some un people who knew their way around but you know i mean i, I just i found people incredible hospitable friendly showed me around talked to me one of the sites that i saw in Bihać was just on the outskirts there was a mosque now the, the bosnia is like the great thing about Bosnia was that it was multi-ethnic, multicultural. Catholics and Muslims married each other, you know. I mean, it was, they mm. all lived together until the war came, and then it was, which side are you on? I was taken to this mosque, and I was shown the mosque, and it had the graffiti of, some, of young Serb soldiers uh, all over the mosque. And I was told by um, this guy who's sh who showing me it, he said, this mosque was closed up for years. There was a big padlock that, on the door that was rusty because nobody had been in the mosque. But when they started attacking the mosque, we broke off the padlock and people started coming back into the mosque. Mm. If you attack us, then we will recover our culture as we need to to defend ourselves. And I found that that was that that stayed with me in telling the story of if a community attacks a culture, it will defend itself. If a community welcomes a a culture, it won't have to defend itself, and it will more happily become part of a new culture, which is where everybody's living together. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's another another aspect of the film that comes out which is the, the politically disenfranchised. I don't just mean the football fans. It's sort no, of, no, you, ha you, ha you have the Muslim community and you have the football fans who yeah. are living yeah. cheek by jowl, yes. but be, but be, and, and you don't make a big deal of this, but, I mean, obviously, being a British person, I know, because the media narrative is that there's a them and us, yeah. it's very easy for everyone to think like that, <laughs> because that yeah. becomes the normal way of thinking, as, oppo as, as opposed to, like you say, welcoming and taking interest and having difference of opinion. And even even your Muhammad character, which I thought was interesting, is that essentially a professional decision he makes to do with his job as a policeman means he can't spend time with his in his own community because of, yeah. because of the yeah. things he has to do, like yeah. ha have a drink, for yeah. example, yeah. Uh, amongst among, you know as, as a minor thing amongst things he does. He is oh. he is he knows Without, and again, it's not. It's not. There's no big exposition about this. But you know, watching the film, he isn't welcome while he's living that life, even though he's doing a job. It's not yeah. like he's a football thug himself. But what he's chosen to do is 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 at odds with the the, the community, the part the part of the community he he belongs to. But equally, he's in a part of London, in your fictional part of London, that has a football team, and and mm. and there's all that that goes on as well. Mm. Mm. And I thought that was uh, again. It, it's sort of it's that thing where, and, and, and you know, in 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 light of the kind of European referendum we've just gone through, mm -hmm. it's sort of you've you've shown in a real sort of small, in a, in a concentrated way, that that idea that there are, that the politicians are not speaking to any of these people whatsoever. Sure. Um, I mean, is that were you thinking on those kind of macro lines that these are the people? Yes, definitely. I mean. Uh, the, the, uh, um, I mean, I think the story, Mohammed's story, I think is a crucial story. 
Mm. Where does Muhammad end up in his community, in his world? Mm. Who is he going to be? Who do we want him to be? Now, and, and those aspects of this, again, through the editing process, both at script level and at f- film editing level, have meant that lots of sort of nuances about this have been stripped away a bit. Mm. That I hope you can still detect in the film. Mm. Whereof choices that Muhammad has to make, not just between do I belong in this world of Nick and Danny Boy or this world of the mosque and of Mohita and Cash. Mm. But in, in those worlds, there are choices being made as well. So Nick and Danny Boy, well, Nick is really just a lad who's just letting off some energy and will settle down and he'll be okay, you know, if he doesn't get into too much trouble. Danny Boy, however, is much more intent and much more looking at the political side of things, and he's much, and you, there's a sort of dissonance between them, though they're mates together. There's a kind of Danny Boy's like getting really a bit too interested in the political side of things for Nick. Likewise, between Mahita and Cash, Mahita is very fundamental and sort of wants to keep his culture and faith completely intact in the world, whereas Cash is much more. Uh, you know, I'd like to go and play too. You know, I want, I'll, I'll, I'll do Eid, but I'll also do Christmas type of thing. Mm. And so Mohammed is torn between two worlds, but in those two worlds, there is there are fissures and, 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 and possibilities and conflicts. And so you, the original question I think you asked was about, was I thinking schematically in that way? And mm. yes, I was trying to tell a bigger political story while hopefully keeping it real, keeping it personal and, and keeping it interesting. No, no, because it does, eventually all those things, it does, <coughs> it does, it does end up aiming at a point which in a dramatic sense feels satisfying, even, mm-hmm. even though it may or may not be what people want as, mm-hmm. as, as and I, won't, I don't want to give any, anything away. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, it certainly felt, it felt like it got to a satisfying point. And one that one that matched the kind of recent history we just watched with all the people involved. Mm. Um, so, so um, was 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 there much thinking about the, the 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 legacy of the first one? Was was there much pressure to bring stuff directly from the first one? I mean, obviously, Gumbo being being a, that straddles the oh. two quite explicitly. There, there, there wasn't there wasn't any pressure at all, but. Mm. I was being asked to write ID2, so it would have been stupid to ignore the original. Mm. Um, And I think that, you know, we kind of essentially extended open arms to actors from who had key roles in, in the first film, all of whom would have been had had a welcome place in this film. Mm. And 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 some of those were up for it, and some of those, you know, it's too long ago, and they're two different people to take it on. For me, key though was Gumbo. I knew that without Lee Ross as Gumbo, I did, did, I don't think we could have done ID two because he, you know, sometimes I teach in universities, and students, um, as soon as they find out, you know, what I've written. They just come up with fucking love you, Gumbo, and all of that, you know. Mm. Um, he, for whatever reason, Gumbo has got a life that that sort of 
never ceases to amaze myself, Anne Lee Ross. Uh, mm. Gumbo had to be in this film. And, and to me, Anne Lee, the idea of, you know, where the hell is middle-aged Gumbo um, was just a delightful um, idea to explore. So... He's, he's like, but in a funny way, he's like the moral heart of the film, isn't he? Yes. In sense. Yeah. He, 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 the, 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 that's that. They are almost words I used when we were talking about initially talking about it, and I said we've got to have Gumbo. I said he's the heart of ID. Mm. He's the heart. Mm. So I, I, um, and 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 it, in a way, it's his it's his non-judgmental character mm. that he takes everybody as they come. Mm. And and will get on with anyone who's around him as if they let him. Um, and I, I think that yeah, he's he's absolutely crucial. In fact, in a weird way, he's the only he's the only one who's allowed to be himself. And if you think of like the id and id your identity yeah. generally, yeah. his yeah. character across both films yeah. is really the only person who can, who can yeah. only be himself because he's not he's not threatened by the group because he's obviously yeah. a Shadwell fan. Yeah, and yeah. he's not—he's not a kind of hooligan who goes yeah. out, going to get himself in trouble. That's going to attract the police at the same time. So his—the line he treads—is one that, that is. You can imagine, in some ways, the rib—the ribbon he gets is probably from a point of envy because he gets to be who he wants. Whereas everybody else, you know, you mentioned Danny Boy. Danny Boy, you can see, he want—he can't—he can't wait till he's top dog. That's right. That's you know, and that's. You know, and like you say, yeah. and like you say, Nick, Nick has gone along for the ride. But yeah. you know, you know, when Nick's bored of taking ecstasy and speed, yeah. and he's got himself a job in the estate ages or whatever, or in the city, yeah. it'll yeah. it'll fall by the wayside. But you know yes. that you know that Danny yeah. Boy is on a road to ruin, yeah. and nothing's going to stop him getting there. You know, because yeah. he he, he yeah. can see, he can see the glory. Oh, well, I'm so glad that comes over because, as I say, a lot was stripped away, and I'm, I'm delighted that you've got that those narratives for those individuals. I'm not sure you would get the same from a hit and cash. I just think that got lost a little bit somewhere right. along the way. But I mean, but then that, I guess that's fit, it's trying to fit them all in. I mean, I don't think any, I don't think anything. The big themes are all there. I feel what we've discussed without a shadow of a doubt. Um, <laughs> What do you think is the kind of... I mean, you mentioned at the beginning about how you kind of spawned a load of films that were kind of exploitative. And and, and I remember I was over in Berlin about four years ago and I went in the equivalent of sort of HMV mm. and the British football hooligan gangster films. Yeah. Are, are, I don't know if you've ever seen in Germany. They're like their own subsection. Yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, they're not just fetishised in our country, but they're also no. fetishised... Oh, quite, yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, titles that I know, and I can't, I'm going to have to make this up because I can't remember exactly, but it was like recognisable morphed covers of films that I know, and then it'd be called just British Pitbull. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not called that in Britain. And, yeah. uh, you know, just to sell the, the notion of it. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I guess it's two parts, is it? A, what, what do you think is so enduring about it? Um, and I guess when you think about people... I mean, you know, someone like Danny Dyer has made a living off the kind of enduring image of the, the, the sort of British lad, for yeah. a better expression. And I mean, he's grown up as well, so he's not like he, he's not had to stay the age of 24 for his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also that the, the, um, the, time, the time was right to do the follow-up, as it were. Um, I don't know why the time was right. I mean, the, this. I mean, this. The, the, that lunch with Sally Hibbin was seven years ago. Do you okay. want to do ID too? Right. And um, it, you know, I kind of 
sort of did, did, did a treatment, did a story a couple of months later, which is, and I look at it now, it's not a million miles off of the story that we've got. Wow. So it's, you know, and, and, and through the whole process, the difficult process of getting the film into production and out onto screens, um, you know, you always think, are we missing our moment? Because it obviously has a lot of contemporary sort of resonance. Mm. And so you kind of keep wondering, are we going to miss our moment? And when you, I mean, you, and at the end of last season, when you Liverpool fans started um, striking uh, and walking out of the stadium because, uh, to protest over ticket prices for the new season, I thought, oh, God, I want this film out now, this moment, because <laughs> it was just, you know. But, but and, and the, you know, the, the, um, the story of... of interracial tension in a city is is has only kind of increased and increased mm. so I, I, we've, we've never lost we've, we haven't lost the moment um and uh it it's still um it still feels fresh i think i hope <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, let's remind people when it's out. Uh, ID2 Shadwell Army is in cinemas and on digital from the 12th of August. Yeah. And there's a plan. The schedule for the DVD Blu-ray is 3rd of October. Correct. Uh, so uh, yeah. people can people who don't catch it in the cinemas or don't or want a physical thing can have to wait a little longer. But uh, from the Just 12th in time of... for Christmas, I think, somehow. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time to talk about the show. Sure, it's been a pleasure. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.